Would Tolkien say that films have destroyed true subcreation? Before the Rings of Power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Join us as we explore Tolkien and all the ages of Middle-earth with your hosts from TheOneRing.com, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Welcome, my friends, my countrymen, as we <laughs> move on into the pursuit of life, liberty, and the... And wait, no, wait, I messed that up. Into Life, liberty, and the pursuit of fantasy. That's, that's what we're doing today. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. We're, we're, we're into... Uh, is this part four? I think it's part four of the essay on fairy stories that Tolkien wrote and revised a couple times, or at least once over his lifetime. Uh, and today we're on fantasy, fantasy, fantasy. What is fantasy? And from that, we also look at what is imagination? What is enchantment? What would Tolkien say about films and how have they destroyed fantasy? It kind of seems maybe that way we're going to talk about that um, before we do. Of course, we have our usual. So skip ahead about a minute, all you people who, who, who hear this every single week, uh, because we've got our extended membership podcast that's coming up later. And we're going to talk about um, more about like what would Tolkien think of the films? Because obviously Christopher Tolkien was dead set against the, the movies that Peter Jackson made. Um, but Tolkien is kind of dead set against drama as a vehicle for fantasy. So what would he say about his films in particular? We're going to go into that. We got a great quote from Robert Frost that Siguenza sent us that we're going to talk about. Uh, in addition to, I can't even read this question because it's really going to mess me up later. Anyway, they're really good questions, and you should you should listen by becoming a member at the com slash member for four bucks a month. So we do, okay, in fact, have the best we have the best fans. We do, mm-hmm. we do, and we have the best questions too. We got three good ones. Um, so yeah, thanks for joining us, all of you people who skipped ahead 30, 60 seconds. Nice to have you back. <laughs> uh, back. We uh, we are we are into section four fantasy of Tolkien's essay, uh, and instead of Dan's big thought i think we have to go into michael's massive mind oh, no. uh, <laughs> uh this is one michael's of those you know massive uh, monologue maybe <laughs> mindful monologue uh we we talked a lot before uh recording tonight because there's there's it's a short part of his essay but there's a lot of meat on these bones here yeah and um and Michael, who has spent a lot more time, uh, like spending with, I mean, gosh, you, didn't you just go over it with your kids too, who, who read it in school, um, yes. and looked at it. My yeah. High school and so, too. yeah. So, um, there's a lot to go over, but I think what we do is we start right at the beginning. We start with imagination and how he defines imagination, um, as opposed to fantasy. Right. And so, um, I'll, I'll read that first quote. Um, and then let's start talking about it. This is in the very first paragraph. It's the third sentence, uh, for, sorry, fourth sentence. Third sentence, second, second comma. <laughs> Imagination has often been held to be something higher than the mere image making ascribed to the operations of fancy, a reduced and depreciatory form of the older word fantasy. An attempt is thus made to restrict, I should say, misapply imagination to the power of giving to ideal creations the inner consistency of reality. So he wants us to move away from the idea that imagination and fantasy are the same thing. Um, yeah. Is there more to be said about imagination versus fantasy here? Because he kind of he kind of pushes it off to the side pretty quick. Well, he pushes imagination. What he does is he actually relegates imagination. He's he's very yeah. philosophic. He he says imagination is not. And and I I would give an example just to prove his point. He so his point is imagination is just the power of image making. That's what imagination is. Very Aristotelian about hmm. that. Um, I would point out that it's not 
the common definition that he he set up that you just read, Jonathan, it, as he says, he says it's not this. Right. Imagination is not the power of giving to ideal creations the inner consistency of reality. Right. There's more to doing that than just imagination because we use our imagination to do all kinds of things. When my wife tells me that she needs me to go to Costco, I imagine what Costco, what the trip to Costco was like, but I do not build the, the, a miniature Costco in my head and fill it with all the things that, that, you know, I don't create a reality. I just have a list of items I'm supposed to get from Costco. And so there's there, my imagination is at work creating images in my head of the things that I need to get, but I don't, mm-hmm. it doesn't have the inner consistency of reality. It just, it's just images that are made, that are kind of mental notes of a, of a kind. So imagination is a faculty. It's just a power of our mind. So what is this other thing? So what is what is fantasy is the real question. And that's what he spends the first couple pages dealing with is what's this thing, fantasy? And it and it and he lands, I think, on the fact that he says, if it's not imagination that gives that inner consistency, then the achievement of the expression which gives or seems to give, quote, the inner con- uh, well, this is his quote within a quote, the inner con- consistency of reality is indeed another thing or aspect. And it needs needing another name, art. This is capital A art. The operative link between imagination and the final result, subcreation. So, you got the you got the train. You have imagination, and then you have this art, and then you have the final product, which is subcreation. And so, so this it's the art that he's going to be most concerned with, and um, that this this craft and. Later on in this part of the essay, he goes into this very unusual uh, digression, very a related digression about the Farian drama, capital F, Farian drama. And uh, we're going to talk about that, but I think that's a, a distraction right now. Right now, he's just talking about what is it? What is this art? What does it have and not have um, that this fantasy that's created? What does it have and not have in advantage and disadvantages versus other narrative arts or other human arts that produce a kind of sub-creation at the end. Um, and I think the first thing he says is, it has an advantage. This fantasy, this art that creates the sub-creation, this fantasy has an advantage. The advantage, he says, is, quote, arresting strangeness. So so there, that, that's the advantage it has. In other words, it has a kind of wondrous character something which he called magic, which he's now going to disavow in this section, but he referred to it earlier in his essay as magic. Um, But it has this character that draws the mind in and grabs you as an arresting strangeness. But that strangeness, that advantage, because it grabs the mind, fantasy grabs the mind, comes with a disadvantage. Um, Let me give you an example before I go into the disadvantage. Onduril, the sword of Aragorn. The fact that three or four times in Lord of the Rings, it actually appears to ignite, it catches on fire, it flashes or flames, it uses the word flames, um, arrests the mind of my children, especially my young sons who listen to it for the first time. They latch on to that element. So the, the, the idea of a flaming sword is a wondrous thing. But now we get to the disadvantage of fantasy. So fantasy can grab the mind with its arresting strangeness, but now it has a disadvantage. And that is the arresting strangeness itself makes it difficult for the mind to be convinced in even in a secondary way that this is real, 
it's it's it is difficult for there to be quote the inner consistency of reality with fantasy it's harder than for example a crime drama so if someone writes a, a piece of fiction that's a crime drama and they they write it in the modern age the fact that there that so many of the elements of the story of the crime drama are in the world around us gives it an advantage it's easier to believe that crime drama than it is mm -hmm. rings because of the, the strangeness of Lord of the Rings. Yeah, the, I think this is for the part of the essay where he talks about the green sun, right? It's fantastical, it's fantasy to imagine your head what a green sun would look like and what living in a world with a green sun would be like. But he says that, that the, that's the first step, imagining, but then trying to produce something using art to convey that in a way where it makes sense that I live in a world with a green sun. He, that, that's what he's saying is the higher plane of, of what sub-creation is. That, that, exactly. That's that, that, Dan, is the inner consistency of reality, which is tough to reach. The yeah. idea of a green sun is really cool. We start me instantly thinking about it. But then to create that, as you said, to create that world, which makes the green sun believable, that's a lot harder to do. Yeah. And, and it makes and, and which I would say is the re, is the reason why we have so much crap in the fantasy genre, because so many times when people tr have a fantastical idea and they try to they, they try to convey it, they do so poorly because it's a hard thing. That craft is hard. There are some arts, some crafts that are difficult, more difficult than others. And I think Tolkien would say that this is one of the most difficult. Mm. Uh, he gives it the word elvish craft, mm -hmm. meaning it's not even it's it's beyond the scope of what a normal human can do. Right. And the elves were able to make right. the Silmarils and these great, wondrous pieces of art, which humans could only aspire to or dwarves. Uh, but to do this, this this asp aspirational form of art fantasy is a special kind of elvish craft. I, I don't know if you'd give it that's that like, there's nothing harder than that. I would I think I think you would say. I do think so. I do. I do think it's. He, he says it's very difficult. Um, and he, uh, to be, uh, here's the direct quote: "Fantasy may be, may be, as I think, not less but more subcreative. But in any rate, it is found in practice that the inner consistency of reality is more difficult to produce. The more unlike are the images and rearrangements of primary material to the actual arrangements of the primary world. So the fact that real swords don't flame and real orcs don't exist." makes them the story more interesting on its face, but then more difficult to carry off uh, successfully as mm -hmm. sub-creative. Now, I would argue that so Tolkien does in fact succeed nevertheless, despite the, um, the arresting strangeness of his world. Um, but, but it's a long haul to do that with a world as arrestingly strange as Middle-earth is. Yeah, I think it's interesting that Tolkien, he's kind of pushing back on on people that maybe criticize fantasy because he, he talks about how people would probably confuse it or confound it with um, uh, like dreams or uh, mental disorders. I think he even gets into that where, yes. um, you're, yeah, you're, you're picture a green sun. Great. You know, you, you're, you're mentally ill. Just <laughs> but 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 to, but to him, it was like the crafting of a tale where that green sun actually makes sense. Uh, he, I think his direct quote in here is, uh, he says, to, according to him, fantasy is not a lower form of art, but a higher form of art. 
And he exactly. says, indeed, it's most near, the most nearly pure form. And so when achieved, the most potent. And I think that that's a really interesting quote to me that, you know, like, like I can imagine like very easily coming up with like a crime story and, and coming up with like a gumshoe detective and all these different mm-hmm. characters that populate this world that's very close to what our world is in reality. But for Tolkien, it's like, that's too easy. Like if you want to get really artistic, I'm going to give you like something really hard. Imagine, you know, a green sun, go with that, make that happen. And like the, to him, it's like the level of craft that it would take, the level of craft that it would take to make that work. He's saying that that takes real skill according to him. Right. Can, uh, let me ask a question then about his use of the word art, because it's been co-opted for what I think is a lot of non-artistic things like duct taping a banana to a wall. <laughs> uh, so when he says it's, uh, you know, uh, like you, you just read that Dan fantasy is, I think not a lower, but a higher form of art with a capital a, yeah. what is he saying with that word art right now? Cause it's not painting. It's not drawing art is what here. Hmm. Because it, it, that's a very foundational word that he's using. What do you, what, go ahead, Michael. Well, it's a kind of making, it's a kind of craft, right? So, and it's a, it, is a, it is a mental and vocal craft, or at least literary craft. So, in other words, he, he's connecting this particular art. I don't think he's going into what art is as a whole, although I think he would be happy to do so if you were to ask hmm. him. Um, but in this case, he's very specific, talking about the kind of art that is um, narrative and structure. It's a craft that is narrative and structure, and it presents a world or a story to to the viewer and to the listener, to the reader, um, that has that inner consistency of reality, consistency of reality. And so um, that craft of creating that inner consistency, of matching, of, of describing of making, of showing forth a world that has, that achieves that inner consistency of reality is, um, is key to, to what, a art, what an art is in this case. He writes, uh, I was just kind of going through my highlights here, and he writes, indeed in the paragraph right above it, where, and I think we already read this, uh, where he gives it another name, right? Needing another name, art. The art is the operative link between imagination and subcreation. Right. Mm-hmm. That's so. That's his definition right there. The right, but but in what does that consist? So you know, because we talked about that, we said imagination was the ability to make images, and subcreation yeah. is the final product yeah. where when you've succeeded, it takes, right? And it so, takes so, artistry, art, craft in order to get there. Yeah. That's his definition so there. so yeah. so you know, what another way of maybe of putting it maybe is that to the artist of fantasy, to the fantasy artist. This art is like the paintbrushes and the paint to a visual artist. It's the thing that they use to create the final, you know, the Monet is the end product. That's the mm-hmm. sub-creation in the, in the Tolkien parallel, the final Monet painting. And then, and the ability to create and by, you know, taking paintbrushes and dipping them in color is the imagination. That's the power of making. And then, but then the craft is the middle term in that logical mm-hmm. str- string um, it's the thing where you take the power of making 
in this case, the power of making stories about a, a, a subcreated world, and you actually make that subcreated world in the imagination um, and uh, of the people that, that read your story or listen to your story. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's really cool. I, I, re- I love these, these 10, these 10 um, pages. I, I think they're, they're core. They're, they're the most important part of this whole essay. Um, and uh, not least of which is his, as is Tolkien's want as a, as a grouchy old professor, he proceeds to, and he's not even old at this point. He's only, he's younger than I am. Uh, <laughs> he wrote this when he was younger than I am right now. So, yeah, but you're still pretty grouchy. So I am, I am. You know. well, actually, he was about my age. Actually, that's, that's, he is perfect about my age. Um, so, so he, um, he proceeds in the middle part of this essay to do a takedown of drama and drama as in theater, as in plays, mm-hmm. even to even throw some shade at Shakespeare a little bit, yeah. which was hilarious. It's like drama is the visual representation of fantasy in that sense. Right. Right? That's, that's what he's looking at. Not a, not a painting. I don't think so much as. Uh, take would it be like drama to him drama was i mean is it taking a fantasy but like he he didn't like the idea right he gives the example of the ogre and the mouse for instance a little bit later and we can get to that but he would he have a problem with drama that wasn't fantasy in that sense like if it's just a standard you know if it's a you know he he mentions well so so i I, before i answer that question i think what's more important jonathan is and let me read one sentence here when he's talk begins to talk about it actually he's already begun um, well, it's right after the green sun example. And then he says, um, in human art, fantasy is a thing best left to words, to true literature. In painting, for instance, the visible presence of the fantastic thing is technically too easy. The hand tends to outrun the mind, even to overthrow it. And what he's actually, um, <laughs> well, this is funny. Uh, my wife and I, as an aside, were recently reviewing the books because we homeschool our kids that our kids are going to be um, reading next year. And there is a particular book um, I, I shall not name, um, but there's a particular story. Can you say it in our members? members uh, extended sure, members podcast? sure. I'll talk about it in the members block. But <laughs> but um, there's a particular story that we found the artwork for our fourth grader to be too much of what Tolkien talks about in his note. So he has it here. He says, see note E at the end. So he has this as his own notes that he, that he, and if you read the note about it, he basically talks about morbid art, which is essentially a dwelling on the unnatural nature, its shape and form of whimsical, fantastical forms to the point in which you become almost disturbed and obsessed with, with this. And we rejected this book because, not because we rejected the story, but because we rejected the art that was in this book um, as too grotesque for, um, and it was not grotesque in the sense that it wasn't well done. It was actually technically very well done, but it was grotesque in the sense that the imaginative, especially the monsters and the, and the, 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 the evil subject matter was so powerful that we found it to be hmm. inappropriate in the way I think that Tolkien actually talks about in his note E here. But anyway, um, so he says, he's saying here, um, silliness or morbidity are the frequent results. It is a misfortune. Now, this is the important sentence here. It is a misfortune that drama, capital D, and art fundamentally distinct from literature should so commonly be considered together with it or as a branch of it. So he is very importantly saying 
these are two distinct arts. We just talked about the art of fantasy making, which is a branch of literature. Um, he's saying drama, theater, movies are a different art. They are totally different. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's unfortunate people consider them, they blur them together. A sin, if I might use such language, that we on this podcast have even done when we've interviewed people sometimes. We've blurred the lines between the literature and the drama. And Tolkien is helping us out by saying, stay in our lane here. Fantasy is really about literature, not about the theater, not about the movies. And why, why does he say that is? Well, that is, that is, I'm going to let you guys take a stab at it first. Cause I have, I have a very, I have a very um, passionate speech about this, but I'll, I'll save it. <laughs> so we're, we're just the preamble to Michael's. Uh, well, I just don't want to, I'm, I'm talking too much. I, I love this so much. <laughs> no, no. I'm just, I'm, no I, I'm you, you have many good things to say. So the most interesting thing about this is that, that I came out of this going, which, which is his mindset that fantasy because it because true subcreation happens in the mind right because it is your own then right you you are the one subcreating out of what the words other people have said like they've created the words but you are creating the desire for that world right that that's happening inside of you whereas when you are when you are seeing a drama when you are watching a film it is created for you and this puts to words actually the way i felt after watching peter jackson's films Yes. They created a world for people that would only experience it within one vision, uh, not in the vision that is created by Tolkien. Does that make sense? Or that, that Tolkien yes. um, has birthed within or has, has grown inside your own head. Uh, and so, you know, green, if I just said, like we go back to the green sun example, if I said a green sun, what does it look like? Well, some people would, would, would see it differently. Some people would see you know, a sunrise, a sunset, it would be a small sun, a large sun, it would look like the moon, it would be flat, it would be fiery. There's, there's a lot to it. But when it's represented for you on a screen, and all you see is the, the special effects guys and the director and what they decided, or if it's, in a, if it's in a play and, you know, it comes on strings in the background as a green sun, right? It, it's created for you. And it's no longer a sub-creation. It's just a representation. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to add to that by going to that note E. Do you guys have that note E in your in your version as well? Yeah, or not? I do. Okay. So and this is where Tolkien shifts from being Aristotelian to being Platonic, um, the, the Platonic forms in a really, in a real way that's very interesting. And, and I'm going to read a, a, most of this paragraph here because it's really important because he's, he is here because this here, what I'm about to read, shows you what Tolkien thinks the differences between and what he would even think the differences between the Jackson movies made of his own of his own works and the works themselves. <clears throat> he says, um, I'm speaking here, of, of course, of the primary expressions of fantasy and pictorial arts, not of illustrations, nor of the cinematograph, which I take to mean early mm -hmm. movies. Um, however good in themselves, illustrations do little good to fairy stories. The radical distinction between all art, including drama, that offers a visible, that's Tolkien's emphasis, pre presentation and true literature is that it imposes one visible form. That's the, that's the, um, 
art that including drama that offers a visible presentation. So the the painting, even a painting by Ted Naismith, the the drama, even the drama by Peter Jackson, present a single visible, it imposes, it imposes one visible form. The example yeah. I give is I talked to you guys about this earlier, is when I read the Lord of the Rings as a kid before the movies came out and I saw Lemb I read Lembus. I had an idea of what Lemus is about. Now, 95 plus percent of the people in the world that think of Lembus, when they read Lembus or describe Lembus, they will think, if they've seen the movies, of the Peter Jackson representation of Lembus. Those movies have imposed a form upon the minds of the people that watch them. A single visual form now no longer is the mind free or as free to imagine Lembus in any other form. And so mm -hmm. <clears throat> Tolkien goes on, he says, Literature works from mind to mind and is thus more progenitive. It is at once more universal and more poignantly particular. If it speaks of bread or wine or stone or tree, it appeals to the whole of these things, to their ideas. Yet each hearer will give them a peculiar personal embodiment in his imagination. So it's the mind to mind. Should the story say he ate bread, the dramatic producer or painter can only show a piece of bread according to his taste or fancy. But the hearer of the story will think of bread in general and will picture it in some form of his own. If a story says, quote, he climbed a hill and saw a river in the valley below, close quote, the illustrator may catch or nearly catch his own vision of such a scene. But every hearer of the words will have his own picture and will be made out of all the hills and rivers and dales he has ever seen, but especially out of caps here, the hill, the river, the valley, which were for him the first embodiment of the word. So Tolkien is really setting this aside and saying literature is something higher than the visual representations. Literature is higher than the movies. Literature is higher than the, the even visual arts, even painting. Define higher. Um, it's more pure. It speaks mind to mind. It has more of the ideal concepts in it because you're, so here's what's happening when you have a movie or a Shakespearean play. Actually, there's something even worse happening in a, happening in a play on stage. A more dis distant, I should say, not worse. Is it? Is it? Well, before before you before you go into that, I want to talk about. I'm, it's more right. It's it's higher in the sense that there is a creation that is done by both the giver and the receiver, so to speak, by the artist and the viewer or the reader, whereas. In a film, you could say that his creation is a high form of art, but it's it's a it's one direction only from his mind onto the screen. The rest is it, it, the rest is an experience and not a subcreation. Meaning, all right. people viewing it are experiencing it, not subcreating it. They are simply along for the ride. They're not engaging their mind in in the action of subcreation. When in literature, there is both subcreation on both sides of the. Of, of that those aisles those that aisle that road exactly exactly so the product of literature when we read the hobbit the product is not the black letters on the page the product of literature is the image in our mind yeah. that those letters produce and that's the subcreation and so the author through literature is speaking mind to mind he's using his mind and crafting words that create in the minds of his readers their own mental world the best cinematographer doing that uh, making a movie of the hobbit which i would remind our dear viewers has nothing to do with the movies of the hobbits that came out 
12 to 15 years ago. Um, the best cinematographer, the, all that they can do, their, the product of their art is a single visual piece. Yeah. That's not in the mind. It's only in the mind in that you absorb it with the power, the faculty of the imagination. It's not a creation in your mind. It's just a bunch of images flickering on a screen. So, so that's their product. That's the product of, um, the, of Leonardo da Vinci is in the Mona Lisa is a single image. It might be a beautiful thing. It might be an arresting thing, but it is not a mind to mind subcreation. Um, it is a single visual image, like a photograph, and so, or many flickering images, like a movie. So, so th in this sense, Tolkien, I think, holds art, holds literature as a higher art, as a more pure art, as an art closer to the ideals of the mind than than um, the visual arts of any type. Yeah. Yeah. Something that I think is interesting uh, towards the end of the section where he's talking about, you know, it, it could be true that that you just prefer drama to literature. They're, they're two separate things. Correct. And he says, you know, many, many critics prefer drama. Hmm. Uh, and he says, uh, even from drama, you are apt to misunderstand pure story making and to constrain it to the limitations of stage plays. You are, for instance, likely to prefer characters, even the basest and dullest to things. And this is my favorite quote in this chapter. Does very little about trees as trees can be got into a play. <laughs> so it's just this idea, like the, just the experience of a subcreated world. You are not able to do that in a drama, in a movie, in a play. You are not able to think about the trees as they are trees. Like, like, like when you're reading about Fangorn forest and, and you're thinking about trees, like what are trees? You're, you're not able to do that in a movie. You, the trees are just background that fly by. Um, mm -hmm. I thought that was an interesting point that he's making, that, that for Tolkien, it's very important to talk about the trees. <laughs> <laughs> it always is. <laughs> yeah. And there read, it, read Leaf by Niggle, which we should do at some point. This is uh, right. it's all about the tree. I mean, this is where, uh, I mean, there is no, in, in today's drama, there is no narrator to give you the information about trees as there would be in a story either, right. right? There's no creation of the trees. They're simp they're, they're, they're set dressing. There's very little yeah. of trees. Yeah. Very little and, and I think about this and then, so Tolkien, uh, before you were reading Dan, he goes, he talks about what the problems are with, um, stage plays. Um, mm -hmm. and he, he has this very funny, um, uh, uh, a number of very funny there comments. One of them, which yeah. was, "Men dressed up as talking animals may achieve buffoonery or mimicry, but they do not achieve fantasy." And and um, he he also talks about how he saw a stage play um, where there was uh, uh, someone, an ogre became a mouse. Is that what that yeah. was? Mm -hmm. I'm trying to find the quote now, but basically the. Um, here I, I've got here. I'll read the quote for you. Okay, yeah, read read the quote he about says, his 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 takedown. Uh, but, but yeah, as it was, though done with some ingenuity of lightning of lighting, the ogre turning into a mouse, disbelief had not so much to be suspended as hung, drawn, and quartered. <laughs> That's <laughs> fantastic. So going back, he's there playing on back to the idea of suspension of disbelief, and and this has led me to what I uh, now I, I so it sort of coalesced for me when I the second or third time that I read this essay, what I think of the Peter Jackson movies. I like them as movies, but the best that you, they can achieve when done well 
is suspension of disbelief. They cannot achieve the secondary world immersion that is the true craft, um, requires the true craft of fantasy. It requires the true craft of the sub-creator um, because their medium is visual images. It is not mind to mind. It is not telling of a world. The, the actual product that they produce in a movie is a bunch of flickering images. That's mm -hmm. it. So they can do so in a way which is compelling. And I would argue Jackson mostly succeeded in that. Um, and, and that we can suspend our disbelief, but we will never reach the point. I, I don't think Tolkien would think that we would ever reach the point, and I would agree with him, of actual fantasy in a theater production or a movie production. Um, it just, I don't think it's possible. It was funny because I remember um, a conversation with my family after reading Lord of the Rings when I was a kid. And it was when I was a teenager, I read it a few times at that point. We were talking about why it was going to be so hard to ever make a Lord of the Rings movie. This was before the Jackson films. Mm -hmm. And we focused at that point on the technical problem. Like you can't, there's just no way to believably, you know, produce all these fantasy elements that Tolkien has in his story. And we weren't wrong. I don't think we were wrong about that. But all that we were pointing out was a, a, a barrier to suspension of disbelief. We were not pointing out a barrier to the actual production of a uh, secondary world and the secondary belief that comes with that. Because I don't think that can happen in, with, a, with a movie or, or a theater production or anything else other than the literature itself, which speaks mind to mind. Do you think rant over? No. Do you think so? I'm, I'm thinking about that more because it, this, like you said, this is, this is the time for me that it solidified my thoughts about why I disliked the fellowship of the ring so much when I saw it in theaters, it's because it ruined the, mm -hmm. the true sub creation, even inside me at some point, right? You cannot go back to the original vision you had in your head. Once you see it on film. Did I ever tell you that that's when, when you first said that to me, Jonathan, I don't think, I don't know if I ever said this to you. When you first said that, I thought, of this essay because no. i thought oh mm -hmm. yes that's what he's no, talking about said that. i just did never brought it i don't think i ever brought it up to you because you hadn't i don't think you'd you'd um, we'd ever dealt no with we haven't talked about this at, at we, that point uh, yeah um, um and i'm trying to get that quote uh, where he says the hand outruns the mind right when yes. you when you're painting the hand outruns the mind and the same thing goes i think the same thing is true in film in that you are the hand outruns the mind meaning um, it's and even well, maybe it doesn't only outrun the mind, it, it will also lag behind the mind, it won't run fast enough at times to, in order to catch up to what the, how, how the mind sees things. And so, these films are still pale imitations of what can be created in a mind to mind fantastic fantasy world, exactly. Yeah, after the quote, which, which it says the hand t tends to outrun the mind, even to overthrow it, he says, um. Drama is naturally hostile to fantasy. Fantasy, even of the simplest kind, hardly ever succeeds in drama when it is presented as it should be, visibly and audibly acting. Fantastic forms are not to be counterfeited. So, mm -hmm. so in other words, because by being counterfeited, in other words, being presented, feigned as, as a thing other than what they are, we, we recognize them as a thing other than they are. When you go to a play... A Shakespeare play, and you watch Macbeth on stage, the first thing that you know as you're sitting there is you never think that the person on stage is actually Macbeth. You just, you, you can be impressed by it, by their acting quality, yeah. because what's your, if you've read Macbeth, hopefully, you are seeing how closely they adhere to the literature. Um, but 
Nevertheless, they will always be a person walking around on a wooden platform speaking the words of the literature. They will not be Macbeth. And so you, fantasy is not to be counterfeited. The, the literature is something higher, superior. And even though fantasy, um, sorry, uh, theater can be compelling in its, as its own medium, it can be entertaining, it can be even moving and move our emotions, um, it, it, it's not going to ever achieve fantasy. In the sense that, um, and he says, right, it's the characters in a drama that we... Yeah, that's the. I'm trying to find the quote, quote here. That, that Dan wrote. Yeah, uh, read. Well, read. Uh, he didn't write it. Just uh, yeah, that Dan read. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, it's I, interesting. He uses uh, the word counterfeit multiple times. Like yes. if, if you're trying to take fantasy and set it to a drama where it's being acted out, everything's visibly represented. Uh, he he says this is an attempt to counterfeit the magician's wand, even if it's successful. Um, and you and you are able to portray the secondary world. If you're trying to portray a fantasy world, you're trying to portray a world with a like another a world within a world. And he's saying this is like a world too much. Like this is world mm-hmm. too far. Yep. Um, it, yep. So he says to make such world, a thing may not far. be impossible. So I think I think we're at the point like that when he was writing this in his day, it, it would have been impossible. I think, mm-hmm. but now we have CGI and and computer graphics that that can make a dragon fly through the sky but i think even then he'd say that's still a counterfeit it's still it's a world within a world and it's in and you're and you're not capturing what the literature can capture right because at its heart like i read from his note e at its heart art the art is a different art the art of the theater is a different art from the art of literature and, and that's because their object and their production are, a diff, are different things. One produces, the theater produces, even if it's the moving picture theater, produces a visual set of images. And literature produces a mental world yeah. set of images. Yes, they are images, but they are in a person's mind. They are more particular to them. They are deeper and touch closer to the ideals of and the universals of truth than the physical picture um, will ever do, even though the physical picture can be an impressive thing. Yeah, it th- I think of this, this is my favorite line, my, my favorite three sentences, two sentences from a three from uh, the Lord of the Rings. And how do you portray this on screen? Because when I read this the first time, it, 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 it subcreated a feeling, a vision inside of me that um, it cannot be replicated on screen uh, and or on stage or in any way. Like the, it, no matter how many special effects you have, you cannot create this kind of a sense of feeling that is being um, uh, that is being communicated from the author to the reader. So let me read this. All right, lay this it is, on us. This is Frodo uh, uh, in the halls of uh, uh, the Hall of Fire in Rivendell. Um, oh, I was hoping. And, we're going to bring up the hall of fire. Yeah. Cool. So here he says, almost it seemed uh, Tolkien writing Tolkien writes all this. There's no quotes here. Almost. It seemed that the words took shape and visions of far lands and bright things that he had never yet imagined opened out before him. And the firelit hall became like a golden mist above seas of foam that sighed upon the margins of the world. Then the enchantment became more and more dreamlike until he felt that an endless river of swelling gold and silver was flowing over him too multitudinous for its pattern to be comprehended. It became part of the throbbing air around him, and it drenched him and drowned him. Swiftly, he sank under its shining weight into a deep realm of sleep. And it has this, 
this short paragraph has all those those items that we talked about with the green sun. We talk about um, golden mist, right above the above seas of foam that side upon the margins of the world. All those things don't really for those those, those descriptions. You don't mist does not sigh really. Uh, there are no margins of the world. Um, we talk about uh, swelling gold and silver was flowing over him, right? And uh, the the air was throbbing around. How do you communicate these things with special effects? You can't. Um, but when when Tolkien wrote that and I read that, I had this feeling of being there with him. I had not the feeling. Exactly. I had the I, I had created that that world around myself when I read it. Right. Uh, and seeing it on film diminishes it so much for right. me. It's a trend. It's a kind of almost transcendent experience. It's an yeah. inner inner experience that's the best way i can put it yeah. it's an inner experience that transcends what a, a, a film no matter how well done can do in fact the only thing a film even a well done film can do is limit that that expression because it has to show good particular point. things yeah. and despite the special effects abilities of of peter jackson's team which were prodigious they just lost they they didn't even have this 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 mm-hmm. um this scene wasn't even this scene at all yeah. it was i would i would say beyond their ability they couldn't even mm-hmm. touch it because you can't produce it without um without doing it badly like an lsd dream of some kind so or or like thorin with his uh gold sickness in uh the hobbit i don't know if you remember that and he's like being oh, swallowed right. by gold and it's like it's yeah. like yeah it becomes yeah a and, it, dream, and it becomes it becomes trite it, yeah. it, it's it's not real um in a very bad way of being not real um so i love it so what you have just pointed to is this is why you're a genius jonathan so you've <laughs> just provided us with the perfect segue because what you just read was in fact the Farian drama so tolkien in the silmarillion has a Farian drama he actually has two but one of them is more remote so i'm gonna, I'm gonna only read one and then in lord of the rings he has a Farian drama and the Farian drama is this interesting side note he talks about in on fairy stories in this particular uh, section and it's much misunderstood. There are, there are people bring it up in college literature courses and are confused by it and what, whether Tolkien's saying there's actually really elves or not. And I'll read the first sentence or two so you understand why the confusion occurs. But the Farian drama, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to read those sentences and I'm going I'm to give you a, what I think is the encapsulation, a single idea so that it's not, it doesn't become too confusing. Now, fairy and drama, those plays which, according to abundant record, the elves have often presented to men, can produce fantasy with a realism and immediacy beyond the compass of any human mechanism. As a result, their usual effect upon a man is to go beyond secondary belief. If you are present at a fairy and drama, you yourself are, or think that you are, bodily inside its secondary world. The experience may be very similar to dreaming, mm-hmm. and it has, and, and has, it would seem, sometimes by men, been confounded with it. But in a fairy and drama, you are in a dream that some other mind is weaving, and the knowledge of that alarming fact may slip from your grasp. To experience directly a secondary world, the potion is too strong, and you give to it primary belief, however marvelous the events. So that is what you just read about the, about in the, in the, um, the Hall of Fire in Rivendell, Frodo is having a fairy and drama being presented to him by the elves who are singing, um, and and um, then there's another passage, uh, also by an elf in the Silmarillion, and I'm going to read that. It's from Finrod Felagund, who's the one of my, my favorite elves, probably my second favorite elf of the Silmarillion. Now men awoke and lit. Okay, this is Felagund came upon the men of Beor. 
And he took up a rude harp, which Bayard laid aside, and he played music upon it, such as the ears of men had not heard. For they had, had as yet no teachers in the art, save only the dark elves in the wildlands. Now men awoke and listened to Felagond as he harped and sang, and each thought that he was in some fair dream until he saw that his fellows were awake also beside him. But they did not speak or stir while Felagund still played, because the beauty of the music and the wonder of the song. Wisdom was in the words of the elven king, and the hearts grew wiser that hearkened to him, for the things of which he sang, of the making of Arda and the bliss of Amon beyond the shadows of the sea, came as clear visions before their eyes, and his elven speech, his elvish speech, was interpreted in each mind according to its measure. So I'm going to read that last part again. His elvish speech was interpreted in each mind according to its measure. Mm -hmm. Felagund is singing in elvish, and the, such is the power of his fairy and drama that he's presenting the creation of the world to these minds of these men, that his elvish, a language they don't understand, because it's, it's a, an older in elvish, um, Quenya, it is transforming in their mind and forming the images. So this is a very, I say this is a very similar passage to what's happening to Frodo in the hall of fire um this is the fairy and drama this is this what happens when elves take fantasy to its ultimate form super saiyan form so mm -hmm. fantasy taken to super saiyan levels is the elvish fairy and drama as or capital e enchantment as tolkien says so this is the now does tolkien think there's actually such a thing That's a dead silence there, and it's not getting podcast guys. <laughs> <laughs> to the Elvish yes. craft, enchantment, fantasy aspires, and when it is successful, of all forms of human art, most nearly approaches. Hmm. So, when fantasy is successful, it approaches this Elvish enchantment, which, which kind of presumes that Tolkien thinks there is something to approach, which means he thinks that it's a real thing. It's almost like a, a platonic ideal. Yeah, I think it is. But I do. I think it's something interesting because I do think that Tolkien is making an allusion here to a thing that is more real than the thing in the world that we have. Um, right. I get, as you say, Dan, very platonic, but a more real thing in its in its wondrousness in this secondary world that it presents, and so wondrous that when the elves do it, when the actual enchant when the actual enchantment is there then people mistake the story for reality. They mm -hmm. think that the secondary world being sung about or told is the primary world. Hence Frodo in the Hall of Fire, hence Beor's men in front of Felagun. And I would, I'll bring up two more examples from our own culture of um, stories in which there is a Farian drama that is told. Of course, in these stories, it's an angelic being in each story that's te that's telling the drama, the fairy and drama. Um, and there is some similarity between angels and elves. Um, <clears throat> the first one is uh, Charles Dickens in A Christmas Carol, hmm. when Ebenezer Scrooge is presented with an angelic being of some kind hmm. uh, um, with the, the, the potential uh, Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. In, and he interacts in that world, those world. Ebenezer walks around and does things and interacts with people, um, even though, so a, a, he's actually brought into that world. A story is told to him of the past, the present, and the future in Christmas, and he is 
brought into that world. It, he mistakes that world for the primary world. And then also, um, It's a Wonderful Life. George Bailey is, is um, presented with a same, the same kind of fairy and drama by his angel about what the world would be like without George Bailey. And, and he, it, it's so real. It is, it becomes his re, his reality. Like it's, he, he, um, the story that is being told is so powerful that his mind is drawn in and he mistakes it for the primary reality. So, um, so there's this fair, this idea of a fairy and drama, I say is actually an idea though, though most people haven't heard of it. It does have threads throughout our storytelling traditions in uh, in the in the west so your question was does it exist yes i would say tolkien would say no because it is aspirational okay right? so because you say no it doesn't exist in the primary world is what it, you mean it, by that. yes that's what i mean by that because he says it you know uh to this elvish to the elvish craft enchantment fantasy aspires and when fantasy is successful of all forms of human art most nearly approaches so it's approaching it but it so can't in reach its, it. In its success, it can only approach it. Yes. It is a glimpse it, of true enchantment, yeah. but yeah. not not an actual experience of enchantment. That can only be done uh, outside of our primary world, I would right. say. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting that the huh. goal of a whole subgenre of literature is to aspire to something like this, yeah. according to Tolkien. So... If you were to ask what the goal of a crime drama is, what what's what's over a mystery? Let's take another subgenre popular in Tolkien's time, Agatha Christie's, mm -hmm. you know, building on um, the uh, Arthur Conan Doyle and the the whole tradition that's now become a glut of the murder mystery. Mm -hmm. What's the goal of that murder mystery in literature? I would say it's to clearly represent to the mind a, the tangle of human motivations, the darker human motivations, and present a kind of mental puzzle, which the reader or uh, watcher in the case of cinematic versions is invited to try to untangle in their minds um, to, to, to figure out who done it. Right. Like that's the point is to, and why, um, you know, who did the great evil and why? It's a, just a big, long word problem. In it's, it's right. It's a, it's, a, it's a mental puzzle. It's a mental word problem. That's right. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of the point of the murder mystery. Um, entertaining. Can mm -hmm. be, if it's done well. Sure. Um, but the, the goal of fantasy is something much more transcendent. I think. Than, than, and, and sadly, fantasy is considered a more childish genre mm -hmm. of literature than mm -hmm. the murder mystery even hmm. that's because we have terry brooks and george R. R. martin and uh, <laughs> all those guys to thank for giving it the word fantasy uh and yeah. taking away the meaning that it tolkien originally gave it was this the first time that fantasy was used i mean i, I have no idea i don't you probably don't either I, don't. I wonder if it was the first time when the word fantasy was used to describe this kind of subcreation of an alt of a non-primary world that that was experiential uh, and, and I wonder if it was if that was given. It's near the beginning anyway. Yeah. And um, what I find fascinating is the tangle of fantasy with science fiction that has happened. Mm -hmm. um, they're now like you go to a library. Not that anyone goes to libraries anymore. But if you were to go to this old weird place <laughs> called the library, um, you would find that the books 
the fantasy novels and the science fiction novels usually reside in the same section of the library. Well, even bookstores used to, when we had bookstores, do they, they, st they stick, you know, uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. They stick Tolkien right next to, to Frank Herbert. And yes, and exactly I, right. Asimov next to, I mean, Brooks. it's exactly wrong, but you are exactly correct. Yes. In your yeah. accounting. I, I think that's, yeah. Did they used to prob maybe? Yeah, I think so. I think fantasy and science fiction. I thinking back to my B Dalton bookseller times, you guys remember that place in malls and I remember B Dalton's. Yes. Yeah. Walden books. I hung out at B Dalton's quite a bit. Um, but yeah, they, they separated those things there quite a bit. Yeah. Um, now yeah. one, one can make a case that what we now call science fiction in its best form is a kind of uh, what Tolkien would call fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in its best form mm -hmm. that, that it can be sub creative. So, so perhaps okay. not inappropriate to put them together maybe inappropriate to separate them in the first place. That's the problem, like calling it science fiction versus fantasy. That's yeah. the problem. Um, fantasy would be all of them. So anyway, now we're on to our final, um, the final stage of this, uh, this 10 pages, which is why, what Tolkien thinks about this subcreative art of fantasy in general. And to emphasize what Dan brought up earlier today, but um, Tolkien refer references this other guy he wrote. Um, to many fantasy this sub-creative art which plays strange tricks with the world and all that is in it, combining nouns and redistributing adjectives, has seemed suspect, if not illegitimate. To some, it has seemed at least a childish folly, a thing only for people or for persons in their youth. As for its legitimacy, I will say no more than to quote a brief passage from a letter I once wrote to a man who described myth and fairy story as quote-unquote lies, though to do him justice, he was kind enough and confused enough to call fairy story making, quote, breathing a lie through silver. <laughs> and then Tolkien gives you his answer, and his answer, as those of us, is not inappropriate, as those of us have read the Silmarillion. If you've been with us through the Silmarillion, his answer is a poem, because this is what Tolkien does. It's, it's poems and songs. <laughs> Which he initially disliked, too, as we found out last <laughs> That's week. That's right. <laughs> but it, this leads to his final sentence. Should uh, Do you want to read the poem, Dan? Do you know which one I'm talking oh, about? Oh, yeah. Uh, Dear sir, I said, although now long estranged, man is not wholly lost nor wholly changed. Disgraced he may be, yet is not dethroned, and keeps the rags of lordship once he owned. Man, sub-creator, the refracted light, through whom is splintered from a single white to many hues and endlessly combined, in living shapes that move from mind to mind. Though all the crannies of the world we filled with elves and goblins, though we dared to build, gods in their houses out of dark and light and sowed the seed of dragons, t'was our right. Used or misused, that right has not decayed. We make still by the law in which we are made. And that leads to that conclusion, which I, I, I love that poem. It's a great little poem. Yeah. And, it, and it, this is the final, his final stance on fantasy. fantasy. I like how Tolkien, I like how Tolkien gets hate mail and he's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write <laughs> this guy a poem. poem. <laughs> Maybe the world would be a better place if more of us responded to hate mail that way. <laughs> so fantasy, he says, is a natural human activity. And then later on, he says, fantasy remains a human right. We make in our measure and in our derivative mode because we are made. 
and not only made, but made in the image and likeness of a maker, capital M. Mm. So this is the root of what fantasy is there for. We make in this way, we make imaginatively, we make sub-creatively, we create new worlds in our head, and it is our right because we were made. We imitate the maker um, in doing so. And even though some people do so badly, my favorite line from this chapter is in Latin, of course, abusus non tolit usum, or abuse does not remove use. So just because <laughs> someone abuses something or misuses it doesn't mean the thing has does not have a right use and yeah. ought not to be practiced. So just because there's the rings of power doesn't mean... <laughs> you got it in, Michael. Good <laughs> job. I did it. I, I brought it in. <laughs> just because there's a rings of power doesn't mean that people shouldn't, in fact, keep yeah. trying to create within Tolkien's world. Well, I actually, I wholly support the idea of well-made movies um they will never achieve the level of fantasy they will never be literature they will never yeah. um, have that mind to mind connection and creation that literature does but they are an entertaining and fun um art and they are their own art and they should be pursued in that spirit and uh, not abused so and this this only... this this chapter also for me focuses um the reason why we don't the question we always ask the last question we ask um whenever we do our uh torque inquisition and we interview somebody the last question we always I always ask them in the members block is um what do we need to do in order to get people to write better stories instead of having all these retreads like imaginative real true subcreative stories instead of retreads remakes recreation everything's redone right We're, like they just in a, i think i just read that they're going to make a tangled now and the disney right there they're even remaking their own stuff they're taking an original story that they the, yeah they've been doing that a, a fairy a fairy tale making it a cartoon taking their poor imitation and making it a live action um so it focuses it because people aren't experiencing true subcreation anymore because they're not reading and what they're reading is simply masked writing uh, or writing that is masked in social constructs that people wish to force upon you right that's that's what that's what english literature generally is right you, you don't read great stories i mean you have shakespeare classes which is great uh, and there's something to be said for that even for reading it even so more than um uh, viewing it uh but you don't have like there aren't really fiction classes anymore. If, if, if it is, it's fiction based around certain social ideals, social justice, right? Social justice fiction, right? You get these, these weird classes. You do not have, um, you, you, you'll have Hemingway, you'll have a few of those guys, but you won't have this kind of sub-creative fiction as an actual practice in any secondary school or college or university. Yep. Yeah, yeah, you'll still find fiction classes, but what you'll find yeah. in the fiction classes, if you attend them, is... <laughs> Uh, a, a host, uh, as you were saying, just I'll say it in a different way, you'll find a host of subjective nonsense um, that's that's based upon the professors and maybe the people in the class's own experience of what they like or feel about certain things. What you don't yeah. have, what, what a fiction class ought to start with is the great fiction first. First, you should read the great fiction in a fiction class, mm -hmm. and then you mm -hmm. should 
try to try to figure out how the author did what they did and distill it down to elements. Now, they will sometimes say that they're doing that in these fiction works, but really it boils down to um, the, uh, the feels. And yeah. that's not that's not enough to have an art to have yeah. an art. You need more than the feels. And <clears throat> and uh, this is well, uh, yeah. And, and, and this that, is what, that kind of, yeah, yeah that ahead. kind of fiction was the precursor to what we see in, in TV and films now is that the fiction the fiction was used to um, take a stance. And if you yeah. don't take a stance on something that is uh, of the primal world that we live in, then it's unimportant. And, and that's, that's what uh, professors in, in, in English literature taught. And so now those same people who taught the students that are, have come up and are running these shows, if your show doesn't take a stance, uh, a social stance of some sort, sort, then it's unimportant, right? Having right. sheer subcreation isn't good enough. It has to make a difference for what you believe. So, and that's, that's true. And then there's a parallel point, different, but parallel which is we hear so much um, and we heard it up to the rings of power. We heard it, we hear it in so many other fantasy um, pieces of uh, uh, visual arts that come out, um, which is that the directors think that you have to be able to see the person that's like you in order to relate to that person. So this is the excuse given for diversification of characters in for example, let's let's. I know this is a Tolkien podcast, but even in things like The Witcher, for example, which is a Polish um, um, uh, mm-hmm. narrative tale, um, it it and and Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, which is a Northern European narrative tale. Um, but the idea is, if we don't include people of all different races, then somehow you won't be able to see. Them. That is, in fact, in a complete inversion of what Tolkien has just told us. You're supposed to be doing with subcreation. You're not supposed to go. When you go to subcreate and go, I'm going to create a world. Let me go into it. And let's see how much like the actual world that I live in. I can make it like I can just yeah. keep referring back to the point where you've destroyed what he says is the primary point of the art. The, the primary, if we remind ourselves, the primary point of the art of fantasy is the inner consistency of reality. And once um, your village of um, 60 people in the middle of the mountains of of what's now become going to become Mordor looks like your cosmopolitan bar scene in New York City then you've lost that inner consistency of reality um because of your great desire to um make people have the feels of what they were, that they had already yeah. you are in fact supposed to be giving them a story where they are not having the feels yeah. about what they have, are familiar with. You're supposed to be putting them in a new world. And if you can't do that, yeah. and you keep referencing the old world continuously and, and, and illogically, then you're just going to, you're going to ruin your, yeah. your even what is even a piece of drama, which is separate yeah. from literature. Um, you're yeah. even going to ruin your drama about that, about that world. Well, it's like uh, my eight-year-old daughter is reading Charlotte's web for the first time and she picked it up and, read it and said, slammed it down and said, how can I identify with this? It's a pig and a spider. <laughs> oh, no, <laughs> no, I, I'm joking. She didn't say that, but you know, that's the same idea. Oh, like, oh, I, why, why would I enjoy this? I can't adi- identify with this pig and spider. It's so like, that's not me. That's, that's not, no, you enjoy it because it's, Oh, I have some thoughts about like, about Charlotte's web. There's, I have some hilarious reactions from my various children about reading Charlotte's web for the first time. We should compare notes in our member section. Oh, Okay. She hasn't finished it yet, but she's read like most of it in two days. She actually really likes it. And so uh, we're, she's not the reader and she, we're, well, we're trying to get her to 
do more. And homeschooling allows us to pick better things than what that's they would exactly do in right. School. That's so exactly we're, right. We're working towards things. So anyway, all right. Wow, this ten pages, but a long, long episode because sorry, oh, it was it was sorry. the media. It was good. Anything else to say, guys? Uh, just before we move on, I just thought that last line that this section ends on. Then that, that's why I'm so grateful that we're reading through Tolkien's writings outside of Lord of the Rings. Um, you kind of get a picture of the man, and the man is writing here on fairy stories, like what he thought he was doing when he yep. was writing Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit, yeah. he saw himself as sub-creating because he is made in the image of the creator. And I, I always crack up when I read things online where they try to divorce Tolkien's religious faith from what, what he created. Like, oh, no, 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 it's not, it has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with Christianity or Christ. But then Tolkien saw himself while he's writing Lord of the Rings. I am sub-creating because I'm created. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just think that that is such a massively important point that yeah. anybody who wants to understand Tolkien needs to understand that. I, I could not agree more, Dan. I do think, interestingly, and I'll start our members section with this, with filling this out, but I do think as a teaser that Tolkien set himself up for failure in that regard actually hmm. because of a certain element that goes on that he just described in this section like what fantasy is so anyway i think i think he he's dealing or maybe another way to put it is his work is dealing with an inherent um weakness of fantasy or or difficulty or disadvantage i'll call it what tolkien calls it a disadvantage that fantasy has mm -hmm. um because of what its nature is, the literature, the nature of the literature. So anyway, we will, we'll, we can go into that in the, in, once we get rid of all the freeloaders who we love, we love you freeloaders. You're wonderful <laughs> people, but uh, you are freeloaders. So uh, Jonathan, take subscribe. it away. We, well, Give us money. I don't know if I'm going to put this in the, in the regular podcast, but I'm going to bring it up anyway, just because this thought crossed my mind. Uh, and it might be important to keep here. I don't know. We'll find out. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll edit this out. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, so the whole He's, idea of, so no, probably not, it's too much work. The idea of <laughs> enchantment, right? Where you are experiencing something completely different and how as sub creators, we are made in the image of a maker and how uh, the you catastrophe of Christ is the true myth, right? All this sort of stuff, all this enchantment fantasy points to uh, the truth of uh, God's invasion of this world and God's coming to the world, right? So there's this is, is 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 being born again is baptism is that an enchantment of sorts is because your whole world changes right your whole like at that point that is where essentially you should like the the way that the primary world is affecting you is no longer the same the the way that you live your life is no longer the same you are living in a at least in my mind in the way that i think about it is like you're you're living in a different perception of reality than you were before yeah there's Okay, since you brought it up, I will say, <laughs> I, th I, I think that um, I think that it is not. I think baptism is better. Um, and Tolkien, I think Tolkien would agree. Baptism as a sacrament is a grace that affects what it signifies. So Tolkien points out that in the enchantment, in a fairy and drama, you mistake the real world for the secondary world. The secondary world is being presented to you in such an overwhelming uh, I, fashion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in baptism, 
the secondary world being presented to you is infuses the real world and it actually changes you. So right, and so, so, so it's, it's something more than enchantment. Yes. Uh, right. And that's why I'm saying like there, well, okay. Uh, yeah. But uh, it's in, in the same way that enchantment can be an echo of real truth of real life of real, of what, mm. right. Of what the, the absolute reality of, of this existence is baptism born again, being in the presence of God is even more so than that. I would agree with that. It's, it's anyway, I'll just throw that in there at the end, you know, it's, this little thing that we're all living in the secondary world and <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> the primary world is just reaching that's to right. us that's right <laughs> all, right all right okay all right freeloaders bye-bye the un, un the dirty masses of no, no i'm joking i'm joking we're gonna move <laughs> on yes uh if you do want to get the extended podcast we're going to talk more about peter jackson's film Subcreation, whether or not these films actually are like destroying subcreation in a way in more depth we're going to get into that and a few hmm. questions that we have from other folks too so uh i hope uh you'll see us there go to the one ring.com slash member see you on the other side Bye bye